I'm not Chris Nason. I mean, Chris Moore. I'm not Chris Nason either. Uh, I'm Bill Lighty. I'm the regional director of the Pikes Peak Baptist Association and with the Colorado Baptist Convention. And thank you for the privilege of allowing me to speak again. I was here last week, and I'll be here next week. And um, you know, um, what your pastor has to do. First of all, let me just say thank you for allowing your pastor to take a sabbatical. He will come back a healthier person. Doing this week in and week out, I did it for 21 years at the same church. It's very, very challenging. It can be very difficult. So thank you for allowing him to do that. You know, now in this role, I just have to come up with two or three sermons a year. And I'm good. Um, I do feel left out, though. I don't have an eye patch or a sling. Uh, but I did put in an irrigation system the last couple of days, so I'm really sore in other areas, all right? I'm just saying. I thought about wearing sunglasses. Tom even offered his sunglasses for me. Um, so well, I'm glad you're here. I understand there's a group that's not here that's up camping this weekend from Vista Grande. And so we're multi-site today. Not only are we online, but we have other people worshiping in other places uh, up in the mountains. I'm sure that's what they're doing this morning. I trust in that. In your bulletin, there's an outline. We're going to kind of work through John chapter 20 this morning. But before we do, um, I just want to say a special word of thanks uh, to all of you who serve in the military or related to people who serve in the military. I just want to say thank you. From the bottom of my heart. My dad was a fighter pilot in the Air Force. I grew up in the Air Force. I was born on an Air Force base, Langley Air Force Base in Hampton, Virginia. We were at Kadena and Okinawa for a while. My dad flew fighter jet or fighter planes in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. One of the few pilots to actually do all of that. I passed away a couple of years ago. But I just want to say thank you for your service and for your willingness, especially family members spouses, children. Again, I've lived that life, lived all over the world, and I just want to say thank you for that. Um, yeah. My dad really wanted me to be in the Air Force. He really did. I'm his only boy after three older sisters, after three girls, right? But I would get motion sick, and I would have to take Dramamine, and we get in these little single-engine piper, because this isn't even part of the sermon. I haven't started preaching yet, so don't start the timer. Um, we would get in these little single-engine piper cubs or twin-engine Cherokees, and he would give me Dramamine. So I'd, I was good for takeoff, and then what would happen? Fall asleep. I'd wake up right for the landing. So I'm good for those two parts. Basically, I learned how to do those two things, right? Uh, anyway, he really wanted me to go to the Air Force Academy, but my eyesight was so bad that wasn't even going to happen. And so anyway, he had to settle for a preacher. <laughs> hey, on the way out of the parking lot, there's a little sign over here. What does it say when you leave the parking lot? You're entering your mission field, right? Every one of us in this room is a missionary. Yeah, we prayed. Jimmy prayed for a missionary, and I'm, I'm so thankful for people that God calls out in a unique way. I'm a missionary. At some, I get paid to be a missionary. <laughs> you don't. Get over it. So, we're all, I mean, you, you kind of do. I mean, sort of, right? You know, they're at UCCS. And, but 
we're all missionaries. God has called us to be missionaries. But when you think of a missionary, you generally think of somebody overseas or on a college campus or in a denominational position like mine or whatever. And yet, would you say Jesus was a missionary? I mean, He left home to come to a foreign place, this earth, to put on human flesh to share with us the greatest message on earth. He was a missionary. Now, how did he do mission work? Did he start a church? No, not really. The word Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus came and He was with us. He did life with people. He engaged people in the rhythms of their life. He simply did ministry together. I call it doing life with people. That's what Jesus did. He ate with people. He drank with people. He had conversations with people. He laughed with people. They celebrated together. You, any of you been to Israel? A couple of you? When you go from, when the Bible says they went from Jerusalem to Galilee, that took days to walk that. Took days. So you're with a group of men. Men, think about your, 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 your friends. And you're out, 13 men, and you're camping. They had to camp as they went along the Jordan River or however they chose to go. And you're camping. In every situation where you find a group of men around a campfire, you know what's in their hand? A stick. We don't know why. But we have a stick. And you know what we do with it? We poke the fire. Again, we have no idea why we do this. It's like we have to keep it alive or something. What, imagine sitting around a campfire with a group of guys telling stories of what happened that day on their walk. Andrew fell in the river. You know, they'd laugh about that. Jesus did life with people. And because of that, He is our model to be a missionary. In John chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. And in your bulletin, there's an outline that I think will help you as we kind of go along through Scripture this morning. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. First of all, Jesus had been crucified, He'd been resurrected, and now He appears to them. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After He said this, He showed them His hands and His side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then verse 21, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, I am sending you. We have a sending God for a sent people. God does not want us to sit soaking sour. He wants us to be sent out into field that is white with harvest. People who desperately need to hear the gospel. That's what He has sent us to do. He doesn't want us just to stay here. Yes, we come here, but God wants us to be sent. We are sent by God. That's the first element I want you to understand. That we are sent by God. God is the one who has commissioned us, not some organization, not some entity, not some seminary. 
But God has sent each of us in this room as we leave the parking lot to go into our mission field. You have a mission field, whether it's on the campus of UCCS, whether it's on the campus of Pikes Peak Community College, wherever it is, in your business, in your neighborhood, you are the presence of God. And you are sent by God to be in that place. You have a sphere of influence that nobody else has. I'll never touch it. Your pastor Chris will never touch it. Only you can be in that place. My wife is a nurse at Memorial Central Hospital for 24 years. She has a ministry to those nurses that don't know me from Adam. But she has an opportunity to connect with them in a way that nobody else can. We are sent by God to be His hands and His feet. Jesus, in John chapter 17, just a couple of pages over, in His prayer, before He goes to the cross, He says in verse 18, As you sent Me, Father, into the world, I have sent, uh, as you have sent Me into the world, I have sent them into the world. In other words, Jesus is saying, in the same way that you sent Me here to this place, I give them a mission in their different worlds, in their different spheres of influence. Just as Jesus sent us, so too He, he sends us to those people. So sent by God. We see this throughout Scripture, and I don't have time to look up all the passages, but one in particular I want to draw your attention to is in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we see a perfect example of somebody who is sent by God. In fact, the word sent or send occurs over 60 times in the Gospel of John. So I'd say it's pretty significant. In Mark chapter 5, we're introduced to a demon-possessed man. We don't even know his name. I want to know his name. When we get to heaven, will we be able to recognize the demon-possessed man of the Gerasenes? Will they have like a sign? I I go, what's your name? I just want to know your name. So here was a demon-possessed guy. Jesus moves into this region, takes all those demons, puts them in a bunch of pigs. They go off a cliff. The farmers get mad, kick him out. And he's getting ready to leave. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Now that sounds pretty normal to me. If God had cured me, I'd want to go with him. I'm with Him. That's the guy. That's the man. That's who I want to be with. Jesus did not let him. That's what it says in verse 19. It said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. Right away, this man becomes a missionary. He hasn't been to seminary. He hasn't been to Bible college. He hasn't been to anything. He just knows, I was messed up. Jesus healed me. And Jesus says, you're going to be a missionary now. I'm going to send you off as a missionary, even though we don't even know your name. I'm going to send you off to your sphere of influence, and you tell them what Jesus did. We are sent by God. The second element I want you to see is that we are the incarnation, if you will, of Jesus. Now, the incarnation, of course, Jesus, who was with the Father, took on human flesh. We call it the incarnation. But you and I, with the Holy Spirit in us, are also an incarnation of who Jesus is. In John chapter 1, we see that incarnation that I've just mentioned. We see it kind of lined out for us in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's referring to Jesus. Jesus put on flesh to reach you, and it's time for us to take 
His flesh to reach other people. We are the conduit. We're it. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. We are a people called by God. We are sent by God to participate in God's redemptive mission. You have somebody in your life that only you can connect with, only you can really impact. I call it your oikos. It's a sphere of influence. You have a sphere of influence, and so do I. I've got people in my life that God has placed me to connect with. Two, two young men recently God has put into my uh, sphere of influence to impact their lives. But God has us on a redemptive mission. And rather than seeing a church as primarily a sending body, we need to see ourselves as a body that's sent. As soon as we leave this building, you are sent by God to be His hands and His feet. We come together regularly as a collective body to be equipped through teaching and prayer and corporate worship, studying. But then we are scattered. We're gathered and we're scattered. And that's what God wants us to do. I think we need to move the church from being the object of ministry to the fulfillment of mission. Is sitting on chairs on Sunday morning in church the best expression of being on mission? We need to move from maintaining to being missional. How many of you have been on a cruise ship? Oh, a lot of you. Oh, I got lots to pick from. All right, somebody who else? Who was on a cruise ship? All right, Wayne. I know Wayne. Did you have a good time? Yes. Uh, what was your favorite part? Eating. Eating was the favorite part. The midnight buffet. Yes, indeed. Somebody else, who else was on a cruise ship? Okay, where'd you go? Cozumel? Okay. Why did you go? The wife told him to go. That's what's going on right here. Yeah, the marital counseling will be later. So, uh, what, was your, what was your favorite part? The food. Did you guys do excursions? Did you take your kids? Or no, I didn't take them. I took, okay, but uh, what was your favorite part? Mexico itself. So, did you do any excursions or anything? Through the cities? Okay, like the old cities and stuff. Cool. Somebody else, who else has been on cruise? Did they take good care of you? How so? Yes! You leave your cabin, you come back, it's clean. It's a miracle. Right? Now, did they do the towel thing? Yeah! Where they make the towels into these animals. We, we took a cruise to Alaska. We took our two daughters, and they were pretty young. My youngest one, that was the most exciting part for her. I'm thinking, I could have sent her to towel folding class for a heck of a lot less money. I'm just saying if that was it. The purpose of a cruise is what? Right. Entertain you, want you to come back. They're going to take care of you. Whether you leave them a good tip or not, they're going to take care of you. That's their job, to serve you. Has anyone here been active duty on an aircraft carrier? Okay, I need to interview you. All right, no, no pressure. Um, how were your accommodations? 
The chow was okay. They give you plenty to eat. Yeah. Did they have a midnight buffet? Well, it was open all the time because you guys were doing shift work. What were your accommodations like? Cramped. Are you doing like a, sleeping on top of each other? Three high. And they're swinging or something. No, no they weren't swinging, but they're you know, just there and you're doing shift work and all that stuff. What was your job? Electrician. Okay. Did they have any entertainment for you? No. Stop it. Really? No entertainment. Uh, did they clean your room? Did they do towels and animals? No. Wow. Why? Why is that? What's the mission of a cruise ship? Their mission is what? Get you to come back. Have a great time. Tell other people. What's the mission of an aircraft carrier? What was your mission? Seek and destroy. I like it. Seek and destroy. Did you know that an aircraft ship and a cruise ship are almost exactly the same size? They both are about two football fields long. They both hold about 8,000 people, depending on the carrier or the cruise ship, but in general. Um, they both are basically 77 stories high. And they're very similar. But their missions are very different. What distinguishes an aircraft carrier is not its size, but rather its mission and its effectiveness. Uh, if I remember right, you, they, could, they can take planes off of there like every 25 or 30 seconds. One right after another. Boom, boom. Every person on that aircraft carrier understands the mission. It's not, and it's not seek and destroy, but it's close. Um, it's to send a pilot off with a payload on a mission, accomplish a mission, and get them back safely. That's the mission. Whether you're the captain, whether you're the electrician, whether you're the medic or the cook or the person who you know, fills the vending machines, you know your mission, and you do it well, and you do it together. Every person is there to support, equip, prepare, fulfill, and get those aircraft back, and the mission is completed. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of an aircraft carrier church. I don't want to be a part of a cruise ship church. I want to be a part of an aircraft carrier church that's going to send people out into their mission field and fulfill the mission that God has given us as we incarnate the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. Aircraft carrier churches are designed to empower all the members to find their God-given purpose in life, to equip them, to send them on missions into the world, to reach and serve those who don't know Jesus. Much like the crew of an aircraft carrier is all about launching planes, equipping them, and carrying out the mission. What good would an aircraft carrier be if the planes were never sent out? First of all, it'd be a disaster because you'd have no defense net because the planes are the defense net around the Air Force aircraft carrier. All of us in this room are sent people of God. And we are to be His hands and His feet. We are to incarnate Him through the Holy Spirit's help. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
Which leads me to the third element, and that is we need to practice the presence of Jesus in the presence of others. In one of the seminary classes I teach, I always tell, it's a pastoral leadership class, I tell my students, you need to practice the presence of Jesus in the presence of others. They will forget your sermons. They will forget a lot of what you say and do, but they will never forget your presence. When you're with them, they will remember that. And so, as missionaries, we are to practice the presence of Jesus in the presence of others. Matthew 5, Jesus talked about salt and light, right? He said, if salt loses its saltiness, it's not any good. You don't take a light and put a bowl over it. No, he says, we need to be salt and light. And by the way, to be salt and light is not drive-by strategy. Kent, how long have you been at UCCS? 14 years. Not a drive-by strategy. You invested yourself in that place. My, my alma mater, thank you. It needs it. I'm just saying. We, you, each of you in this room has a place where you are practicing the presence of Jesus. My wife and I, we live out in Black Forest. We moved out there about uh, 2001. And we survived the fire of 2013. We were evacuated for nine days. Um, we actually were out of town when the fire started. We were in Monta Vista helping... Al Barrera with his church when he was pastoring down there. We went down there to do a retreat with him. And my daughter called and says, Dad, there's a fire in Black Forest. What do you want us to do? And I said, put it out. Uh, no, I said, I said, well, go get the dogs. Go get these pictures and these two file drawers. And cause we were already in Alamosa. By the time we turned around, we wouldn't have been able to get back in. And so they went and did all that. So we were evacuated for nine days. Well, after that, our home was not burned. We're so thankful. Um, but after that, I worked with our Southern Baptist Disaster Relief all summer long. And I was part of a chainsaw crew. And I had orange chaps, and now they're black. My helmet was orange, and it's black. Because everything you touched was black. Because we're cutting down these burnt trees. We call them widow makers because they're so brittle they could snap on you and kill somebody. So we would go down and cut some trees. And then, did you know uh, a three-story house, two stories in a basement... When it burns, all the ashes go into the basement. You know what you have left? Three feet of ashes. That's it. And we would take these screens and do what we called ash out and put stuff through it to see if we could find any valuables left to see if the owner wanted to keep anything. Well, invariably during the discussion, as we were practicing the presence of Jesus with these people, um, somebody would ask me, I don't know why they'd always ask me, why are you doing this? Are you doing community service? Do I look criminal? I, I guess I do. Maybe in my outfit, I don't. That I was. I don't. I go. No. <laughs> Can we pay you? No. Then why are you doing this? Well, because Jesus loves you, and so do we. That's it. We were just practicing the presence of Jesus in the presence of others. To do that, you have to plant yourself someplace. I have an old 66 Ford truck, red and white, original equipment. I drive that thing around Black Forest. People all know me. Oh, you're the guy who owns the red and white truck. You know, I just throw my gear in the back and go help people. Each one of you has a place like that that God has called you to. That only you can be the Jesus in that place. 
So we need to be in present, but we also need to be in the proximity with people. We have to do life with people. That's what Jesus did. Jesus did life with people. As they were walking from place to place, they would do life together. If I were to ask you to incarnate and embody the gospel, would you know what to do? Would you know how to have that spiritual conversation? See, mission is not about location. Mission is about identity. Because we are followers of a missionary God who has revealed Himself through the missionary, Jesus, and our mission is central to to our identity as Christ's followers. See, throughout history, God's interaction with mankind has been unique, and He's always been about sending people. Abraham was sent to a new place to to begin a new nation of people. Moses was sent back home to free the the Hebrew people from slavery. Even reluctant missionaries like Joseph, right? Oh, poor Joseph, right? And he ends up being a missionary. And he was a big part of saving the Hebrew people. Daniel was a missionary in a whole different culture, whole different place, whole different language. Jonah was sent by a fish. Threw him up. Puked him out. And he didn't even like the people he was going to. He didn't even like them at all. But he went. The son was sent by the Father. That's what John 1.14 is about. The Word became flesh and the Word dwelt, dwelt among us. The Son was sent by the Father. Mission is not something God does. Mission is who He is. That's who God is. In the New Testament, we see this eye of sentness. John the Baptist was sent. Peter was sent. Philip was sent. Paul was sent. Barnabas was sent. And they all practiced the presence of Jesus in their sphere of influence. Which leads me to the fourth element, and that is that we are deployed. My dad was deployed a number of different times. He was in Vietnam three different times when I was a boy. Before I was born, he was in Korea. His squadron was the first squadron in Korea. He was in Japan when they flew into Korea. They built their own runway. He was deployed. Many of you in this room have been deployed. And again, thank you for your service. But each of us in this room, every one of us in this room, whether you're a student, a child, an adult, a grandparent, we are deployed by God to be on His mission. And throughout Scripture, as I said, we've seen this pattern. But let me give you one example. There's a guy named Philip in Acts chapter 8 who gets deployed. It says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, Philip is in the midst of a revival, folks. In Samaria, there's a revival breaking out. People's lives are being transformed. People's lives are being changed. Philip's in the middle of this, and he senses the Spirit of God saying to him, go to the desert. Now, if I was Philip, I would have had more of a conversation. You want me to do what? Oh, I'm going to talk about that next week. You want me to do what? I'll talk about that next week. I'm in the midst of a revival, and you want me to go to a desert road? Really? And so he does it. So he's sent to this desert road in Acts chapter 8. And he meets this guy in a chariot who is an Ethiopian. And he'd been to Jerusalem, he had worshipped, and he now is heading home. And as he's heading home, he's reading from the scroll from Isaiah. And so with each step of obedience, opportunity came for Philip to listen and to act accordingly with the Spirit's guidance. So Philip does what the Spirit tells him to do. He engages this guy, who was a Gentile, by the way, and he leads this guy to Christ and baptizes him right there in the moment. In the same way, we are sent people. 
Jesus teaches us obedience, to be faithful, not just knowledge. In fact, what does knowledge tend to do according to 1 Corinthians 8? Knowledge puffs up. What does love do? Love builds up. Obedience is simply love fleshed out. Love doing life with some other people. I've had the privilege of connecting with a lot of unchurched people. Um, and, and it's intriguing to me because I don't see them as a project. I see them as a person. I'll never forget this one time. I used to play a lot of basketball at the Garden Ranch YMCA every Tuesday and Thursday for lunch. And I got to know a lot of these crusty guys. And uh, Every once in a while, one of them would show up at church. and I'd, We'd go to Wendy's afterwards. And, and I remember sharing the gospel with this one guy. And I, man, I just laid into him, gave it to him, and he didn't want to have anything to do with it. I said, okay. So the next week I called him, and I'll never forget this. He said, Bill, you're the first Christian to ever call me back after I rejected your Jesus. See, it's not a project. It's a person. It's a relationship. Let me suggest to you this morning that instead of measuring seating capacity, we should measure sending capacity. How many people are being sent out from this place? A number of years ago, I had a privilege to meet with a young man, quality young man. Um, grew up in the Air Force, but lived most of his uh, middle school, high school years up in Monument, went to Lewis Palmer High School. I met with him for breakfast. Um, Graduated from CSU, very intelligent guy, worked, had a great job, and happened to be dating my youngest daughter at the time. So I figured it was time for a dad-man conversation. So I met with him, and I shared the gospel with him for two hours. You know, everything from Genesis to Revelation, everything. And I asked him at the end, I said, is there any reason why you would not want to accept Jesus right now? as the Lord of your life. He said, no, I don't think I'm ready. He said, but thank you so much. This has been helpful. I've never connected Christmas and Easter. Don't assume anything. Don't assume the people you're talking to have any clue what you're talking about. And later on, months later, I had the privilege of leading them to Christ and they got married and it's been great. And I had to, got to disciple them and so forth. But my point is, don't assume people know what you're talking about. And sometimes you have to break down the Christianese a little bit and help them understand. People do not need a defense of God. They need to experience His character through our lives. The Bible says we're to be Christ-like. We're to be mirrors of Jesus. We're to be His ambassadors is another word. They need to experience Christ through us. So when, when you have conversations with people, do they think that you think they're a project? Or do you see them as a person? We are to be that missionary for Christ. That's what God has called us. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, I am sending you. Now also in John chapter 20, verse 8, it says, finally, the other disciple, this is at the empty tomb, the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went inside, he saw and believed. 
If you're here this morning and you'd say, Bill, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I have not come to a point where I believe yet. You can do that today. Did you know that? You can. You don't have to put it off. I mean, the tragedy of this last week in Uvalde, Texas, if nothing else, tells us the value of today. Oh my gosh. That's all we have is today. We live in a fallen, broken, messed up world. And we have today. So if you're here today, and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can do that. Did you know that? You can do that. In a moment, the worship team's going to come. They're going to lead us in the song. Uh, Forrest, one of the deacons, is going to be in the back. I think Jimmy's going to be back there. They're back there to talk to you. If, if, if today you want to say, today, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to let Him be the Lord of my life. I want Him to be in control of my life. I want to experience the forgiveness of sin. I want to experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. I want to know the joy that stands before me. I want to experience all that. You can do that today. Jesus said, I've come. You might have life and you might have it abundantly. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if you're here today and you've never started that relationship, I'm not talking about church membership or baptism or religion or anything else like that. I'm talking about a relationship. You can, you can have that today. Worship team, you guys come on. Um, also, for you that know the Lord, consider your missionary status. You are sent by God to be His hands and His feet and His words and His voice to people who desperately need to hear it. Let me pray for us.